welcome to the North Witch Podcast with your hosts, Azario Flame and Sandra Von Holland. In this podcast, we explore all the things that can help us to be better and improve our lives in body, mind, and spirit. Looking at everything from witchcraft, sorcery, woo-woo, spirituality, biohacking, the mundane, and everything in between. We occasionally have on guests from various backgrounds, practices, and philosophies. We welcome everyone from all walks of life, from the left-hand path to the right-hand path, from the medical to the holistic, from the woo-woo to the scientific and everything in between. We have conversations and discussions about our experiences over the years, what works for us, what hasn't worked, and explore new theories and science, trying them out, seeing what works, and debunking what doesn't. Thank you for joining us on this wicked adventure along the crooked path as we adventure into the mysterious and wonderful world and welcome what truly works for us to become better witches, sorcerers, magicians, and our best selves so that we can live our best lives. May these conversations help you to ignite the light within. The views expressed by our guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of us here at Northwich Magic Co. All of the information shared on this podcast is anecdotal and shared for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical or financial advice. Always consult a doctor, physician, or professional in their field before trying any of the things that may be discussed on this channel. Magic and holistic healing should work alongside allopathic care when necessary. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another exciting episode of the North Witch Podcast. We are back for our first episode for season two, and we thought we would start it with a bang because our lovely friend Matt Oren just released a wonderful new book called Mastering Magic. So we have Matt on today to talk with us. How's it going today, Matt? I'm good. Good. Thanks for having me on. How are you? we're cold we're out here in Canada this is the first day that it is started finally dumping snow we've got about a foot of snow outside it's a little bit ridiculous especially since I just got back from Florida and I'm really not acclimated to it yet <laughs> we're never ready doesn't matter we're just never ready it could be January and we're still not ready it's okay but at least the first snowfall is really pretty um and it feels kind of magical um, I mean, I'm, I lived in uh, the Salem area for about like five or six years and like, it'd be really pretty for snowfall. And then it's just disgusting um, from all the cars and yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But you guys are a little bit more rural, right? Yeah. We're very rural. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are hidden in the boonies. So, but that's the way that we like it. You know, yeah. this morning was so magical, though. Like when you say magical, the first snowfall, it was a all horror frost this morning. So it was beautiful. I had to head out to an early appointment, and the sun was coming up, and all the sparkles, and it was great. Ah, uh, that's awesome. See, we have to find the magic in it if we're going to be living in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And so your book just came out, it just dropped. Um, it's available pretty much everywhere books are sold. Um, and this is a true follow up to Psychic Witch, right? Like this is meant to be a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it also is sort of a standalone. Um, I had the struggle when writing this of like, I can't please everyone. So I was like, do I repeat a bunch of stuff in the first book to build upon? Uh, what needs to be done for this one? Or do I just say, you know, check chap, like exercise 
14 in Psychic Witch, you know, because people would be either like, oh, he's repeating the same stuff or, you know, oh, I have to buy another book to buy this. So I tried to make it as standalone as possible, although it does reference Psychic Witch. Um, my friend uh, Tempest, uh, Laura Tempest Zakroff, she just released a sequel to uh, Sigil Witchery, and she referred to it as like a sibling book. And that's how I feel this is. Like they're siblings, they make sense together, but you don't need one for the other. Um, but I am definitely like progressing in what I'm teaching. I love that analogy. That's perfect. Yeah, and it, it is a great book. Uh, I've, I've read it um, and it was, you know, I, I've been saying Psychic Witch is the book that everybody needs to start with for, you know, since it released and we always ensure that we have it stocked. And now we're going to ensure that this one's stocked as well, because it is for sure, you know, hands down, I would probably say if somebody's starting witchcraft, these two books are, you know, they're, they push it into a way that is easily digestible and easily accessible, which is something that a lot of books kind of miss the mark on. They either expect that you have a whole bunch of, knowledge prior or they're just truly a beginner book and you you really walked the line there with you know having stuff for everybody in it and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about it I mean I've been doing witchcraft for 20 years and there was stuff in there that I was like oh, I didn't think about doing it that way that's awesome right so uh, Thank you. You, you did quite well with you know making it very accessible to everybody good th th that's my goal um you know I I not to knock other beginner books, because there are great beginner books out there. But sometimes I, I read some of the beginner books coming out, and I feel like it's like patronizing in a way, like they're kind of talking down to the person like, I, I don't know, it just feels very like like baby spoon fed. Um, and I, I don't want that, you know, like I want to treat all my readers as if they are intelligent people that just aren't familiar with the subject. You Absolutely. completely, as a beginner, you know, acknowledging the witch world, because I didn't know that we had to label things. I just did things. So right. for me, as a, in that perspective, it's, it's perfect. It's like, oh, well, that totally makes sense. And I have the psychic witch because Azariel, of course, as he says, always says you need to read this one first. So true to his story. And I can't show you because, oh, it sort of shows with my background, it doesn't show that I have the book here, but I do. And then I did the audible on the new book. So you nailed it. It was, it was not overwhelming. It was all ah, a lot of aha moments. So it was a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was kind of nervous with this one because um, Psychic Witch did so well. And then everyone was like bombarding me like, oh, like, how are you going to follow this up? Like, how, like, don't you feel a bunch of pressure? And it's like, well, I do now. Um, <laughs> I didn't and, know I was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like, I had like, this book was very difficult to write, um, particularly because this sounds super woo, which is our realm, right? Um, but I usually get the book titles as well as like, for the first book, I had Al. In this one, I had Moth, they come to me in dreams and I kind of am like, okay, so this is what the cover is going to look like. This is what the book's going to be about. And um, Moth is not easy to work with because Moth is all about going in that cocoon, right? Melting, completely dying in primordial goo and then like 
being rebuilt. And that's sort of how this book process felt. Um, it's changed many times from its original conception of what you get now. Um, and I don't know if you uh, are familiar with, well, of course you're familiar with, but um, if you're like super big into Alanis Morissette, but I remember like in the nineties, like her first album was bigger than she expected to, or anyone expected. And people said the same thing to her, like, oh, how are you gonna follow this up? How are you ever gonna do an album better than this? And um, luckily I didn't have that level of pressure um, because she went through a whole like, depression, suicidal thing and had to be her family like flew her to India, which is the whole like, thank you, India thing she did on that song. But I'm going off topic, but um, <laughs> you we know, never know where these go. <laughs> I, I was very pleasantly surprised that um, people seem to enjoy the second one. Um, I've even gotten feedback that people like it more, um, which really, really surprised me. Um, because I had COVID writing half of the book. So I was like, oh man, I don't know if people are going to like this, but I always just try to make the motive of like, you know, I, I'm helping people, you know, what do I need to teach them to get them empowered and casting magic and in tune with their senses? Absolutely. And I, I think you you nailed it. Like the the exercises in this book, as well as in Psychic Witch, are very well thought out. They're, you know, they're they're tools that if you actually do the work, you can't not get some kind of a result, which isn't something that you see in a lot of books. Lots of things are like, oh, well, you know, if you do this technique, this may or may not happen. Whereas with these, it's like if you do this this is what's going to happen. And it's cumulative. And I love that because you, you build upon each previous exercise and it just keeps getting more and more real. And I think that's something that we need to see more of in, especially, you know, kind of like the beginner intermediate book area is people need to see progression and lots of the beginner books really miss that. And I think you totally nailed that because by the time that you get to the end of mastering magic, you're doing full on planetary work. You are, you know, you're casting circles, you're learning how to cast small circles just with your hands. And you're like, there's so many cool little techniques that you put in there that I think that even advanced practitioners are going to find things in there that, you know, will add to their practice and are simple things that you can add in, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. And you're really going to notice a big difference with it. At least I have, I've, I've been doing them since I got the book on release day and it's been, it's awesome. Like it's, it really is truly empowering magic, which like I say, you don't see things that are, you know, guaranteed to work in a lot of things. Right. So yeah. Um, with, with my books, uh, aside from the contributor spells, um, everything that I put in the book is stuff that I know works, um, that I've gotten to work that, you know, I'm not just making stuff up and like presenting it to the public, um, which, you know, I don't know if other authors do that or not. Um, but the contributors that I did pick for Mastering Magic are all magical practitioners that I trust that like, you know, I... I'm like, they know what they're doing. They're going to provide something great. Um, but there are some things like uh, the, I have the whole approach to like ADHD and like aphantasia in the book. And for that, like I got friends of mine who have those conditions 
And I came up with, I think it was like seven different exercises and I presented it to them and I was like, try these out, see how they work. Um, and obviously there aren't seven in the book because not all of them worked for them. So what made it into the book was what did work, um, you know, because there's no point in doing magic if it's not gonna work. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's that's another cool thing too, is that, you know, you were so inclusive with it. And that's something that I, as somebody else who teaches magic, I find that a lot of people have that aphantasia or the inability to focus or the inability to visualize or whatever. And that's something that I've struggled with, you know, with teaching over the years. And so when I saw those exercises, I was like, oh, he's got it. This is awesome. So, and I have presented those to a couple of my students that, you know, I, I don't know how to help you here because I don't have this problem, but you know, I can guarantee that if you try this out of Mastering Magic, it probably will. So hopefully you get a few more book sales out of that at least. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and see, and that's what I mean because the exercises that I had crafted and I presented to them, I could all get them to work, but my point wasn't for me. Um, so, you know, getting that feedback um, and that kind of like trial group was incredibly helpful for me. Um, because I don't want to, like, like you said, like, I don't want to present something that doesn't work for people, um, if they can't visualize or they have difficulty focusing. There's quite a group that don't visualize. And it's surprising because those of us that do, you don't even think that there's people that don't. So it's great that you have acknowledged them, right? Because there is, it is a lot more people than we think. Yeah, and I think also, um, at least my experience teaching, I think a lot more people think that they can't visualize than actually can't. Um, you know, there are definitely people with aphantasia that just can't visualize at all. Um, but one of the things I tried to like point out in Psychic Witch was, um, you know, that that uh, screen of and there's just that quick flash of just like an image you know um that is visualization and so like if you can do that you know you can build that to eventually become that kind of focused concrete visualization but with all of these things it takes work you know um there is no fast food quick easy fix for anything but there are definitely people who, no matter how much work they put into it, um, their brains just aren't um, working in a way that can visualize on command or, you know, people with ADHD, for example, can't focus no matter how hard they try. So, right. Absolutely. So now with you saying that, um, that actually does lead well into one of the questions that I received for you. And it is in your experience are there some people who just can't open their psychic senses and if so are there any workarounds that you have found for them practicing witchcraft if they're not able to do that i have never come across that with any students any workshop people um you know i i think uh part of it is the expectation of what psychic ability means and how much of a spectrum it is so just like i was saying with visualization how like 
Um, you know, when you're reading a book and you have that like quick flash of like, oh, the woman's hair is red and you just see it for that split second, you know, it's something that you build up on. Psychic ability is a lot like that, where it feels very, very subtle when it first starts coming to you, you know, and as you strengthen those muscles, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Um, but I believe that anyone who tries to put any work into it will see results. Um, because as I say in Psychic Witch, I believe it's something we're all born with. And I believe that it's actually how we operate before we're incarnated as physical entities. Um, anyone who does mediumship knows that a lot of the, the communication back and forth of reception and also you know, projecting isn't necessarily through the physical senses. It's more of like a psychic, you know, seeing images, you know, internal hearing things, knowing things. And I think that's the language of spirit. And we're spirits before, you know, we have this meat suit on. I love that, this meat suit. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Totally makes sense. It's all about also the trusting. Isn't that so huge in the process is that trust in what is coming and that it's, it is a process and trust what's happening and yeah, and that's why um, I think the second or third exercise in Psychic Witch, um, I adapted to be for like, you know, the individual reader. But originally what I would do is I would sit two people with each other, two strangers in my workshops, and I would have them, you know, essentially pretend to be super psychic and just have fun with it. Don't worry about being wrong. Just, you know, blab. And um, the only rule is you can't say no. Um, because as soon as someone hears no, they can be like 85% correct. And then that one little thing where someone's like, no, they just totally shut down, like all their self doubt kicks in. Um, and what I have learned from, uh, being, well, I'm retired now, but a a professional psychic for so many years is a lot of times people will say no, or they'll be like, no, that's not right. That's not possible. Um, it isn't necessarily true. Um, you know, it, it ends up being correct. They just either don't have the information or there's something they're not connecting in the moment. Um, but if you, if you hear no, and you take it as a like, oh shit, I'm doing this wrong. You know, what am I doing? Um, it can totally shut down all of that sort of connection that you have. And that's why I think role-playing and just treating it as something, you know, fun and silly, um, is extremely helpful because everyone is sort of amazed in those workshops how much they got correct um, at the end of it by just allowing themselves to to have that kind of permission slip. And that's all. That's huge, right? Is that no? It's okay to have these things, and it's and it's also don't you find that when you're in the community, it is better than just being solo on your own and oh, let's not talk about it. And whereas you come together, like in your workshops, people obviously will do better there with the encouragement of community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's definitely something to be said about that sort of positive reinforcement, um, uh, because a lot of our shutting down of those kind of psychic senses, because I, uh, you know, I feel children are super psychic and um, you only have to spend time with the child to realize how weird they are and how magical and how psychic they are. Um, And that sort of shuts down after a while. It's usually around like age seven or so. 
And that is coincidentally the same time in sociology where children start realizing people have strong opinions on them based on how they act and what they say, you know? So there's definitely this kind of like uh, correlation between, um, uh, I don't know if society is the word, but like environmental uh, social influence and, um, you know, these things kind of receding in people. So having that really supportive environment, I feel is super conducive. Um, I know, for example, like mediumship, most mediumship um, development groups are development circles where people just get together and they're like, let's do it, you know, and it's very supportive, very encouraging. Um, and yeah, I think it's all that, that, that sort of, you know, um, pushing aside that sort of like self-doubt and also, you know, what people might think of me for doing this kind of a thing um, is super crucial. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like how you said that people's expectations kind of are a part of it as well. Um, you know, if their expectations are too high, like, you know, if you're doing an invocation and you're expecting, let's just pick Baphomet, for example, you're expecting that you're going to see Baphomet fully manifest in front of you as if he's really standing there, you're probably not going to have that experience. But if you're going to get that flash of Baphomet in your head, and you're going to see your incense smoke doing different things than it normally does, and all of a sudden your candles grow brighter, and you know, that feeling that we all get when we know that we have spirit contact happening those are the things that people tend to dismiss but you kind of really did a really good job in showing that you know these little things really are the big things and that's kind of one of the key things that I took from this book as well as your last book is that you know if you're able to tune into those little subtleties that's where the true magic really is right Yes, yes. And um, it can also inform you of like, if you did it or not, you know, um, like you said, there's, um, oh my God, this sounds so pretentious, but there's a je ne sais quoi when, when a spirit is in the room, particularly like a deity. Um, and it's really hard to define, but usually people have sort of a similar feeling, like the air pressure sort of changes a little. There's, there's just sort of like a, almost like, um, your hair starts kind of standing up like like you just know like that it's there um but if you're not really in touch with your senses and your body you'll even miss those very like sort of uh intuitive clues um you know and i you know there are experiences that um borderline things that like i wouldn't discuss in public but like there are things there are times where it almost feels like they're appearing before you and you may even see them. Um, but the, the thing with psychic ability um, and witchcraft is the way that it's been ingrained in sort of our minds through media has it sort of at like, you know, 11. And usually like the perception of those things aren't 11, you know, it's not like you get hit on the head and all of a sudden you're seeing extreme vivid flashes of like, you know, like, you're in the middle of a car wreck or whatever. Like psychic ability usually doesn't feel like that, though it can. And I don't want to dismiss, you know, the the uh, extreme uh, uh, vividness that it can sometimes come, but it usually isn't like that. Um, usually, it's very very subtle because we're working with subtle energies, uh, both receptive and projective, in our magic. 
Absolutely. Totally makes sense. So I, I really love that you gave like a number of tools in here. Like you, you've given, you know, multiple different ways to, you know, ground things out, cleanse things out. You, you know, like I, I absolutely loved the salt and fireball. I think that's a fantastic technique. So how important is that, you know, kind of maintaining your cleanliness in your opinion for being able to have these perceptions? Um, it, it depends on, so cleanliness, if we mean like external cleanliness, like energetic cleanliness, um, yes and no. So, so it depends on what you mean. And if we're talking about psychic ability or magic, um, psychic ability, it's, I feel like this sort of cleanliness that is the most important is your mind. And that's why I put such an emphasis on meditation is this ability to sort of be, um, uh, I think the metaphor I use in the book is like a clear pond, you know, where it's just receptive and it's quiet and you can just see what kind of um, comes, see or feel or how whatever sense comes through. Um, but when it comes to magic and it comes to manifestation, that's when I feel like cleanliness in other terms is a lot more important. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm super big on clean environments for magic and even you know tidying up a little bit before i do a ritual or a spell um, because there is something to be said about um a creating an atmosphere that just psychologically feels magical and clean um but you know going to the idea of and it's expressed in many cultures in different ways but like the greeks have the word i like the best which is miasma you know this sort of house getting dusty doesn't mean that you're like a dirty disgusting bad person right it just it's just something that naturally sort of accumulates and that happens with us as well and um particularly when you are uh, approaching spirit or deity um you know you essentially want to be clean and purified um as a a form of respect to show them you know like i'm it's sort of like, you know, if you have, um, if you invite someone over for a meal or something, right, you want to make sure your house is clean, you want to make sure you look good, just because it's good etiquette. And it shows that, you know, like, there is sort of a care and concern about like, you know, your guest, and I feel is very similar, uh, spiritually and magically. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes, you know, like we, we're working all day, you know, and we're, we're still out like in the woods or whatever. And we're, we're not, you know, necessarily super clean or have the materials to be clean, but we want to do magic. Um, and I think sometimes just being sort of forthright and honest about that is super helpful, you know, like, um, you know, it, it's just treat it like people. That's, that's how I deal with spirits um, as, as people you respect. So it'd be like, oh, you know, like pardon my, my um, you know, my grossness right now. You know, I am <laughs> as pure as I can be, you know, um, please overlook it. Let's do some magic. Um, when it comes to manifestation, um, I'm also big on clearing room to clear the etheric energy out so that you have more of a container to receive the manifestation. Um, and this is an, a, 
a trick I learned years ago from my friend Oceana. Um, and it's just, it's always, always worked. So if I'm trying to manifest something big, I usually go through a, a purge in my life of just getting rid of things um, because I'm kind of creating that energetic container within my life to receive. Yeah, the more with the feng shui method, right? We need to clear the clutter for the positive energy to come in of whatever we're manifesting, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think you did a great, I love that chapter. That was, I was driving back home tonight and I was reading that, listening to that. <laughs> he was telling me all about the grounding and cleansing. And I like that. It was, you did great on explaining the difference on whether you're washing your hands, like you wouldn't have a shower before supper, but you would wash your hands. And so you did it. I like that explanation. I think it was pretty great for everyone. Yeah, I always try to, um, when I'm teaching, I try to, as much as possible, compare it to everyday life or fictional pop culture things, just stuff that people will understand. So it's not as abstract of a concept. Um, and, and that's a great example of it, like the, the washing your hands versus taking a full-on shower. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great. And as far as taking things that are, you know, a little bit more abstract and making them easier to understand, well done with making the Cabellion stand out the way that you did. Because when I first saw it in there, I was like, oh, here we go. Let's see how this goes. And then by the time I was done that section, it was like, wow, you really, you nailed that. You got the core concepts down and in a way that is, you know, it's modern. It's, uh, you, you made it much more poetic in a way that people are able to easily digest and understand. And, you know, that's one of those books that either you love it or you hate it, right? Yes. Like it's, there's, there's almost no middle ground with that. It's, you know, one of those areas of contention amongst the occult community. And I was really pleasantly surprised with how well you handled that. And just, you know, you took these, hermetic concepts that we all, you know, we, we learned them growing up and, and getting into the craft and, you know, we kind of put them on the back burner, but, you know, you made it much more relevant than I think that any other reading of it that I have had did. So congratulations. Thank with that. You. <laughs> yeah, so from I a beginner point, because I think our, our listeners will have totally not be understanding what you're asking is Ariel. So Matt, if you could explain that from Okay. Yeah. Like so um, the Kybalion is kind of controversial in occultism, as Azrael is saying. Um, people either love it or hate it. And part of the reason is because it's um, people associate it with hermeticism. And hermeticism is a very ancient, um, you know, Greek uh, philosophy. Um, and the Kybalion uh, claims to be a book um, written by three initiates that is explaining the mysteries of Hermeticism from an insider point of view. Um, we believe that it was ghostwritten um, by William Atkinson, um, and he was the publisher. Um, but it's not super ancient, you know, the book itself. And so what the book itself seems to be, and I try to be very honest about this when I'm presenting it in Mastering Magic, it seems to be a mixture of that ancient hermetic belief with new thought and theosophy kind of mixed together and boiled in. And it's supposed to be the sort of like keys to the universe, like how the universe functions and how you as a person 
can essentially um, manifest and create change. Because the whole idea is based on the idea that um, source, God, whatever name you want to put on it, um, we're all a part of that. And we're a microcosm. We're, we're sort of like a mini version of that. Um, so it's just explaining how the universe works, how the 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 all the the great mind spirit god whatever name you want to put on it how it functions in the universe and how you as a part of the all and a sort of microcosm of it can also manifest by understanding these principles so i i hope that was an okay explanation of it i'm Absolutely. it's a lot to try to kind of boil down um yeah. i think it'll i think that gives our read our listeners a better concept of what Azariel just kind of popped in on and I don't if they haven't read your book I don't know if that would have made them be lost or not so I think right. that's good clarification yeah so it's it's um regardless on how old it is or not um a lot of my witchcraft teachers were like this is solid like solid principles you know like if you want to understand how magic works and how to tap into it um and a lot of it is based upon the idea that um, everything in the universe is a thought. Um, it's the thought of the all. And you are a thought of the all, but you also have a mind. So you have the ability to think. So essentially by laying out these principles of how mind and energy interact with one another, it's sort of um, an amazing framework for understanding how magic works on a theoretical level. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, you, you nailed it. Like, and like the, I guess the biggest reason why a lot of people have issues with it is because it used a lot of old terms. It used a lot of non-inclusive terms that were, you know, nowadays we look at it and you're like, oh, you're talking about masculine and feminine and oh, we can't do that. And so I think you handled that extremely well. And, you know, you presented it in a way that you got those core concepts that we, you know, we, we kind of take them for granted, but you, they, like you said, they are almost the keys to the universe if you know how to use them and if you know how to receive them and how to present them. And so you did it in a way that makes it so that I think anybody will be able to read that and go, okay, well, this is how, you know, polarity works. And this is how, you know, this works. And we're, they're going to be able to really get something good and positive out of it. And I don't think that it matters. Might have come over. Oh, did I just glitch? Yeah, out? You, did, you did the thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I think that you really presented it quite well. And I think it'll be really, really well received, which is, you know, the Cabellion itself wasn't necessarily that well received. So I, I just wanted to say good job on that because it's, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a brilliant book in terms of the principle it presents. Um, but like you said, there is a lot of outdated language um, and metaphor. Um, and if you can understand what the metaphor is trying to get at and sort of abandon the language, then you have the key. And one of the things that I find um, in magical uh, spirituality and occultism is a lot of times people confuse the symbol for what it's symbolizing. And it sort of misses the point completely. You know, there's like that Buddhist saying of um, the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. And um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the book of like, okay, like, like let's try to explore what this is trying to say. Um, but yeah, um, 
I, I kind of like, um, I'm not very kind to the principle of gender um, in the book. Um, and I explain why. Um, and I explain what, what it's trying to explain. And that is powerful, um, what it's trying to explain. But it's hard to look at any occult book from Victorian times or pre-Victorian and not find problems in it. Um, and people are either of two camps, just like the Kaibalian, where it's either like they embrace it all, like without any critical thinking, or they totally dismiss and renounce it. And I think that when it comes to these writings of like dead occultists, I think we can have the nuance of like trying to see like, well, what is the valuable uh, golden nugget in here and what is problematic, what applies, uh, what is personal bias, what is societal bias while still being sort of honest about it. Um, a lot more than like if an alive author or teacher is teaching problematic things, you know, like I, I don't want to support that. But if, if the person has been dead for like, you know, six decades, like, <laughs> you know, I think we can try to find the wisdom without worrying about supporting their platform and maybe they were doing the best they could with what they knew then as well right if it's six decades ago gosh, yeah I, I, I think particularly the Kaibalian is a good example of that um because you know it seems like the author or authors because we we aren't 100 percent sure it's just we kind of guess who wrote it um they're explaining the principle of gender and they're trying to be like, you know, it doesn't mean sex, like, you know, and then they give all these other examples where you're like, that has nothing to do with gender, you know? So it's sort of like they're progressive in a sense, but they're still bound to the language of their time and their predecessors mm -hmm. in trying to explain it. Um, but then there's other, you know, occult writers from Victorian times where it's like, we could easily say like, yes, it was societal influence. Yes, it was, you know, whatever. But that also kind of dismisses the people of that time that were fighting those ideas and didn't have problematic views. Um, so I, I think, you know, um, I mean, even some of our greatest, uh, uh, what we consider our greatest occult writings, um, like, Dion Fortune. Um, Dion Fortune has some really, really problematic stuff in her writing. You know, every now and then there's like casual anti-Semitism or, you know, homophobia or what have you, you know, that doesn't mean all her work is crap. You know, there's definitely um, some amazing stuff in there. My best, my favorite example is Aleister Crowley. Um, I think Aleister Crowley is one of the most brilliant occultists of all time. I think he is a shit person. Um, I would not like him at all as a human being, but as a magician, I can recognize his genius and be able to be like, oh, this is awesome tech. This is awesome theory. Um, while being like, wow, this, this thing you just wrote here is just like, you're kind of a shitty person, dude, <laughs> you know, and, and kind of separating the two. Um, Absolutely. I like that. For sure. And I love that your analogy of it, that he's a shitty person and that's okay. Right. Like <laughs> Azariel and I always talk about that quite often actually is that, well, I don't have to agree with them, but are they a good person? Like that's what matters. Like, right. Well, and when they're dead, like I was saying, it's a lot easier to like, 
pan for the gold than if they're alive and you're like, okay, I'm supporting this person's, you know, platform. Absolutely. And, you know, you just brought up Crowley. I, that's another thing, you know, you, you threw Resh in there and uh, it was, you know, done in a way that was, you know, very inclusive, very not Crowley and very, you know, you got to the core principle of it. And I love that you, you know, you used his whole thing of, you know, your own crude rituals should be more effective than, you know, even the most polished rituals. And you took something that is, you know, very thelemic, very, you know, part of their everyday practice and you boiled it down to the core principles and, you know, this is how I do this. And so I loved that you were, you, you pound for that gold, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't think most people like have that aren't uh thelemites um particularly like in the oto or whatever like i think the average person reading my book probably doesn't have a relationship with those deities or the cosmology that he's drawing on but one of the things i'm super big on like you were talking about how like um you know i try to present things that work um so i'm always trying to see like what is the tech in it that's what i call it uh, the traditional term using crowley's terms would be the science of the magic. So I'm trying to see what makes it tick. Why does it work, you know? Um, and try to strip all those trappings that may not necessarily be beneficial. Those trappings that are essentially, um, by Crowley's definition, the art of magic, you know? Um, the, the kind of spirit relationship that you have and um, with the thing. So yeah, with Resh, you know, I had this whole thing of like, you know, it is a powerful practice in my opinion, um, but can we still make it a powerful practice without, you know, saluting these uh, Egyptian and Kemetic gods that we may know nothing about? Um, and my opinion is yes. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's one thing that is absolutely apparent throughout the book is that you, you did take these, you know, concepts that are, you know, some of them are a hundred years old or even much older and you did really boil it down to the actual true tech and the true science that is you know the magic and the sorcery that is behind it and that's really what i appreciate the most about these books is that you have taken the effective principles of them and you have put it in a way that you know you you can't not understand it like it's and that's something that you know, like I've had a lot of teachers over 20 years of doing this and a lot of them, it's like, well, why does that work? And they're like, well, cause my teacher told me it works. Right. Yeah, and it's right. like, okay, well that's not, you know, you're not furthering why I should want to do this. Right. Like when I first learned rash, that's exactly what I was told. Well, you know, it, it, it does stuff. It, it lines you up with the sun. Right. And right. so your description was much better. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that I really try to drive home in this book, and I kind of start mentioning it in the conclusion of Psychic Witch. But with this book, you know, I put an emphasis on the fact that like with magic, you need to have a relationship with it and it needs to work for you. Um, so, you know, even me, I don't have a relationship with those solar deities, you know, um, with, you know, Ra, poor cute um, in his boat in the heavens. Like I don't, on, on a deep level, I don't connect with that. Um, and so not connecting with it is going to make it harder for me to connect with it energetically and do the process. And it's not that the process won't work if I don't, you know, fully appreciate those deities, but if I can find a way 
to make it personalized, like Crowley said, crude, personal, you know, rituals versus these highly polished, elaborate ones, it's going to be a lot more effective. And to make magic work in your life, you need to be able to connect with it um, on that sort of personal level. Absolutely. I totally agree with you there. So I do have some more questions here for you. So I'm just going to okay. throw one at you now because we had, I threw it up on gotcha. Facebook and everybody was like, oh, this is great. We get to talk to Matt. So I kind of picked some of the gems out of there. Um, so we kind of covered this already a little bit, but I just wanted to throw it at you to see if maybe you had some other ideas for it. But what in your experience is the easiest way to open up your psychic senses to better understand spirit communications? Um, meditation. <laughs> like, honestly, just that, you know, and, and I know some people are like, oh, meditation. And, and that's one of the things people didn't like about the first book is my emphasis on meditation. But I, I keep coming back to and a lot of the people I respect as magicians and cultists will say similar things, just that ability to essentially clear your mind, but also understand how your mind works. Because when you understand how you think, um, you can start to discern um, when something is being kind of conjured by yourself and when you're receiving something. And spirit usually works with the stuff you know, the sort of database that's in your head. But there's, again, a, that je ne sais quoi that just comes with experience of understanding, like, this thing I just received is not from me. Like, there's something communicating with me right now. So I need to tune in um, to it. So for me, um, I think meditation is definitely the strongest thing you can do to, to build and strengthen um, your ability to communicate with spirit. And as we were saying earlier, you know, um, spirit speaks through those psychic senses, you know, so um, meditation is such a big part of developing those psychic senses. So that really surprises me that you say that people didn't like that in the psychic witch. I just, uh, it's surprising to me because since I've learned meditation, it is just so it's life-changing. Yeah, it totally really. is. And so whether you're doing it just to betterment your life or to be, which leads to all this, I think um, it's yeah, just I, an integral part of it. I just, I can't imagine someone not going that being an aha moment for them going, oh, I need to learn how to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think most people received it well. Um, but there are some people who want quick, fast fixes. Um, oh, right. yeah. you know, and when it comes to these things, when it comes to perceiving the unknown and changing reality, essentially, which is what magic is, you know, it's gonna take work, it's gonna take time. Um, and you know, one of the biggest feedbacks was the ADHD thing. And that's why in Mastering Magic, I'm also like, you don't need to sit down and close your eyes to meditate. Mm -hmm. Let's find some other ways to meditate. Try to find, you know, pinpoint what is the goal. The goal is to sort of clear your mind and get into an altered state. So how can we do this in like the form of like dancing or walking or art, you know? Um, you find in different um, groups uh, that aren't magical, um, I don't know if groups is the right word, um, but like dancing, for example, they have in the zone, you know, there, there's certain terms for that state of consciousness when mm -hmm. it happens. And that's essentially where you want to get. Um, but yeah, for me personally, 
meditation is life-changing, like you said. And I do feel it is the foundation of all of this stuff to actually get it to work. And, and people just need to be patient with themselves because meditation is a, it's a hard thing. And so you just have to do a messy and you have to be okay that you suck at it. Because yeah. seriously, I'm sure I sucked at it for like well, six months. Like, and one of the biggest misconceptions is that whole idea of like, oh, I get distracted too easily, you know? And, and as I try to drive home in both my books, that distraction is the meditation, that recognizing, oh, I've distract, I've lost my focus. Let's bring it back. That's building those muscles. You know, that's the resistance of the weight. Exactly. So every time you recognize that and come back, you're becoming better at meditation. And I think, you know, people have this idea that you're going to be fantastic at it right away. Like a Buddhist monk, you know, that's like living in the Himalayas their whole life. And you're not, it's these things take work. It takes development. It's just like learning any other sort of art, whether it's singing or, you know, uh, painting or anything of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And just give yourself grace and yes. keep it messy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's like Jason Miller always drives home to all of his students, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Go I was just about to quote him on that. <laughs> right. Yep. So yeah, that's I totally agree with you there. And so that leads really well into the next question because somebody asked if you had to pick one technique, whether it's out of either of your books or anything else for maintaining or developing psychic power that you could do every single day and you could only do that technique, what would you do? Um, I don't know if there would be one specific technique, um, but I would definitely say meditation. And if we want to get more specific, I would say trying to enter alpha and be in alpha. Um, I think that's definitely um, the core because it's not just the, the meditation isn't just the meditation. It's not meditating for meditative purposes like other religions or spiritual paths like Buddhism or Hinduism or something of that nature. Like we're trying to get into the altered state of consciousness and we're trying to learn how to shift our brain waves on command. Um, you know, that's not necessarily the language that like the witches of the past used, but they're trying to, they were trying to explain the same thing with language that they didn't have, you know, um, you know, to get into the witching hour, to get into that state of fascination. Um, you know, fascination was the word uh, for a long time. Um, for a period, it was mesmerism, you know. Um, but now we understand, like, you know, it's essentially getting into that altered state of consciousness where we essentially are. Um, and this is where it starts getting kind of Kybalian and kind of like philosophical, but essentially where we're kind of more aligned with the dream of what reality is so that we can proactively dream, like lucid dream, essentially as a metaphor, uh, which I would consider magic, but also be more receptive to what we're receiving in the dream. Um, I hope I hope I didn't go way off the tracks with <laughs> no, that kind of really weird metaphor, but. Totally great. Now, there is one question here that I saw that you responded to on Facebook, so I'm going to throw it at you again. What does it mean to master magic? <laughs> so this was, <laughs> as I said, um, both psychic witch and mastering magic. 
I receive them as woo as it sounds, I, I receive it in dreams. So I receive the title, I receive the spirit that's coming to me, which I put on the cover. Um, and I usually get some sort of main idea, the aesthetic of what the book cover is gonna be. So when I got Mastering Magic, I was like, are you serious? Like talk about an intimidating title to have to write a book, you know? <laughs> um, so when I say Mastering Magic, I am not saying mastery in the sense of like, knowing everything there is or being the most powerful you know witch um, or magic caster um, essentially it's about mastering the relationship you have with magic in your life uh, being the master of the magic in your life um, not mastering magic as a whole concept because i don't think that's possible in one lifetime um, you know where the universe is magic. Um, so for me, uh, the, the way that I see it, you know, I don't consider myself a, a master. Um, you know, I, I think there's very few occultists I've met, very few that I would consider a true master of magic. But I do feel like I'm a master of my magic. I'm a master of my magic and how I apply it in my life. Um, and so what I'm trying to present is the tools and ideas for the reader to kind of start mastering it in their own life and step into sovereignty, which is such a um, important thing I try to drive home at the beginning, this idea that like you are the person that is uh, responsible for yourself and your life and your impact on the world, both magically and mundane. And as you sort of develop in your magical practice, you start realizing that that border between magical and mundane starts slowly dissolving and everything is just sort of magical. Um, and a lot of that has to deal with connecting. Um, I mean, you know, I, I wrote all this in the book, so there's no point in like going into it too much, but that's what I mean by mastery. I don't mean being like, you know, um, like a sensei of magic, um, so to speak, or like a black belt of magic. I like that. Totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You're the black belt of your own magic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So now somebody did have a good question and you kind of touched on it a little bit in the book. So I, I'm going to bring it up, even though it, it does kind of go off to the side a little bit. Um, okay. And their question was, if they are invoking, let's say a daemon or an angel or a deity or whatever, who is a, ma a master of magic, let's say Hermes or whatever, is that going to be just as effective for them for opening up their psychic senses and their perceptions as using say like daily meditation, daily energy techniques, things like that? Um, I think it would be helpful, but I, so this is not a simple yes or no question, um, answer. Um, you know, I, I think calling in someone like Hermes or Hermes Trismegistus or something, they're obviously going to have a strong focus on the mind and have, you know, um, cause usually like deities and spirits, when you start working with them, they have things that kind of, um, they push you towards. And I feel like those kind of mental, um, uh, development things in my experience, those spirits, of that nature push you towards. That being said, um, there is something to be said about working with said spirits to sort of develop and enhance those areas 
of magic, but I don't think it's an either or type thing. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to work with a spirit like like Hermes, for example, if you can't perceive Hermes, you know, and you can't communicate clearly back and forth with Hermes. Um, so, you know, I'm building to spirit work. Eventually that's going to be a book, but I'm trying to get people there. And that's why this book, I start introducing a little bit of spirit work. Whereas Psychic Witch, there's no spirit work other than like, you know, the spirit within your higher self. And I think one exercise to like meet your spirit guide, you know, um, but you know, the spirits like, so, um, there is a working at the end with Nemesine and calling upon Nemesine and her daughter, the muses, you know, um, and that's not just for inspiration that it's to open up and build the faculties of the mind. Um, so they do kind of go hand in hand. Um, the way that I teach, I want to teach things that build up to spirit communication so that we do understand um, when it's genuine versus when it's just sort of, you know, um, more archetypal um, and you're really kind of accessing an inner part of yourself that resonates with them um, versus having the actual spirit there. Um, so I, I know I'm kind of rambling, um, but like, it's not a yes or no question. These things work in tandem. It's just sort of like how, you know, psychic, which, you know, it's all about, um, you know, building those inner faculties and then using that to sort of create magic with your mind and then mastering magic, you know, all the magic is geared almost, almost all of it is geared to enhancing your psychic abilities. And they kind of work back and forth and create kind of a, um, a circuit, so to speak. And I think working with uh, deities that are connected with the mind and psychic ability and visions and prophecy is definitely going to help that. But I, I, I think taking a more holistic approach to it is going to be a lot more um, helpful than an either or type situation of, I don't need to do this stuff because I've called upon Hermes. You know, um, I think Hermes is, can help with this stuff and developing this stuff, but I, it's, it's holistic. It's, you know, it all works together and builds and helps. Absolutely. In my opinion. Make, makes sense and awesome. totally matches with my experience as well. So I, I would totally agree with you there. And now I did have another question and you do cover a little bit of sigil magic in your book and mm -hmm. you teach people how to do that. Um, and then you do have a couple of techniques in there that are very, they're, they're close to very talismanic type things. Mm -hmm. So somebody asked if using a talisman to open up your psychic senses is also a viable option and i think that just based on the way that the question was they're asking more can you like create a magical talisman that'll just you know turn everything on but i know that you're probably gonna say that you know it's a lot like your last answer so yeah yeah um you know once again there is no fast food when it comes to genuine psychic and magical things um, but magic makes things easier, you know, so working with sigils, working with talismans, you know, casting magic is going to help you. Um, it's going to assist, it's going to make it easier. Um, but I think I have not come across anything that will just open the floodgates, you know, completely. <laughs> and that's kind of dangerous. And I think, you know, like we're, um, the way 
that we naturally kind of progress into it is a healthy um, way to do it so that we don't go into psychosis. We don't, you know, completely overwhelm ourselves and, you know, fry ourselves. So I don't, I have never come across a sigil that will open everything up magically, you know, uh, fully. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have worked with talismans for psychic development. I have worked with sigils for psychic development. And I do think that they help, um, but they're more um, like aids than, you know, um, a button you push. <laughs> the easy button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure. And yeah, totally, totally, again, matches my experiences. And like, like you said, would you even really want that to happen? You know, like, can you imagine throwing on a talisman and all of a sudden, boom, you're in the spirit world and everything is just, you know, right there in front of you? Like, I bet that would probably knock most people right on their ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and then even experiences um, in, in my tradition. So like, you know, doing certain rituals, like regardless of how prepared people think that they are, you know, when you do really heavy, intense ritual, and for example, you know, you start getting the apparition of the spirit, you know, like you may think you're ready for it and you think you can handle it. But like when people are confronted with that, like it can freak them the, it can freak them <laughs> out, you know, and you know, a lot of um, the stories we get of people like ex-witches, you know, converting to Christianity, you know, that kind of stuff. I feel that's the story of stuff that happens is once it starts happening, it scares them. You know, it's no longer just sort of something they're dabbling in, not something that's just sort of like a um, an escapism. Uh, but when you realize, oh, this stuff works, you know, I think that can sometimes scare people. So I think that, you know, um, luckily, most of us are not born with that full perception or that full perception doesn't fully turn on because um, I don't think I could handle it either. You know, I there's there's times throughout the year where I have to consciously turn it down because it's like I need to sleep. <laughs> you know, I just, I just need sleep. I can't deal with all this right now, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's funny that it, it's even too much for you, right? Because this is, this is your life. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, but like at the end of the day, like I'm still a human being. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I don't consider myself a master, as I said, you know, I um, consider myself fairly adept. Um, at things enough to be teaching them, to teach them in my tradition, to teach them in workshops. But, um, you know, I'm at the end of the day, like I am a seeker and a student and I'm, I'm, I'm always, as, as I say in Mastering Magic at the beginning, I'm eternally thirsting, you know, to learn more and experience more. And I think that's where growth occurs. And I'm hoping that I'll always be like that because it would really Absolutely. suck to feel like, you know, there's nothing else to learn or experience. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. So then, with you, <laughs> um, let's talk quickly because we're we're soaking up all your time. Um, where do you actively teach, Matt? Like, where can our listeners get more Matt Oren? Because I know I want some more Matt Oren. So, where do they find you? What do we do? What do you teach? All okay. the things. <laughs> so the pandemic has kind of shook things up, and then I moved as well. So a lot of like my in-person workshops and stuff have kind of stopped. Um, I am working on more workshops to be publicly available um, on our uh, university, our online university, modernwitchuniversity.com. Um, I teach 
in the Sacred Fires tradition still, but that's a very one-on-one um, -on -one mentorship. And it's very much, we are a lot more selective with that, Devin and I, because it is a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Um, but one of the prerequisites is that you take the Black Rose Witchcraft course, which is available on Modern Witch uh, University.com. And that essentially will give you a pretty much a good foundation for magic in general um, in witchcraft that's done by my partners um, before I was in the picture. Um, but uh, I am hoping to create more workshops online that are public and publicly accessible to everyone. Um, but at the moment, my my focus has been books, writing, 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 you know, awesome. trying to to get that into people's hands. But I do miss in-person workshops. I do miss in-person, you know, um, public work. And hopefully with this pandemic seeming to to ease up a little bit, hopefully we can get back to the normal world of people interaction. We're walking that line too. We we used to do a lot of workshops as well, and honestly, we do miss it. But it is a, it's a fine line of balance of time too, right? Right. So then, and you did kind of allude to your next book. So you've already got one in the works. Is that fair? I, I have a couple. I have a couple in the works. So that one I was kind of, you know, I am going to write a spirit book. Um, that is not my next book though. Um, my next book is sort of, um, I, I don't want to give too much away because I'm still working on it. I'm that's good to know that there's a next book. So that's what's on. That's what's next for Matt Oren. Yes. Next book. That's Hopefully on. there's many more. I love awesome. writing. We look forward to it because it's, you write it so that even newbies like me and older ladies like me can get it. We get it. So you, you've nailed it for, for this category. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I have one last question here for you, or sorry, I have two actually, but oh, we're really pushing the envelope. There's, there's one that um, I feel is more relevant. So I'm going to pick it over the other one. And okay. the person just wants to know about both of your books and can they use the techniques that are in the books to contact and work with and deal with both the paranormal and magical realms will it give them the tools to be able to you know perceive to actually you know see the other side so to speak yes and no um yes in the sense that all of these skills are skills that are needed in mediumship um the book does not deal with mediumship um i do have techniques into scrying into what we would call the other side which is reserved in my computer files for that spirit book that's coming up. Um, if you want to learn mediumship, um, a fantastic book is by my good friend, Danielle Dion. Um, it's called Magical Mediumship. You will see it's highly compatible with my work. Um, she's Sacred Fire. She's also Temple of Witchcraft. Like we have a very similar background and um, uh, lineage and cosmology of how we view things. And um, she's actually who taught me mediumship, because despite doing all the psychic stuff for years, mediumship intimidated me super, super hard, you know, because more than the normal psychic stuff, like that's a very sensitive, very intimate thing, you know, to bring forward someone's dead um, and their messages, you know, and you do want to make sure that 
you know, it's legit and that um, you are bringing something, you are bringing them forward and not just kind of, you know, giving them a bunch of like nonsense. And Danielle's work is really, really good in that regard um, because she's, her background is also evidential mediumship. And so that has been a big influence on me. So like we want to identify and like get enough from the spirit to confirm that without a doubt that this is your dead before we start talking about spirit stuff. Um, but as, as you were saying, we kind of address this, um, this book is my two books are not necessarily focused on mediumship because I feel like you need to build up to that. Um, you know, essentially like I'm teaching you to walk, you know, and I feel like mediumship in that regard, um, like, uh, classical mediumship with the dead, um, is more running. Um, and we want to get there first. <laughs> Absolutely. Makes That's fair. Sense. Yeah. All right. So do you have any more questions there, Ma? I know you had a... Oh, I have a whole list of Matterhorn, but it's all about Matterhorn and not his book. So I guess <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to do this again. I would love to. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to, we will rebook and yeah, get great. Deeper, do a deeper dive into Matt because there were questions I didn't get to and, but it's a little, yeah, it's okay. We'll do it again. And I love that. I'd be more than happy to come back and chat with you. Awesome. I uh, really enjoyed this. You two are easy to chat with. Um, and I thought it was really fun, despite me kind of going off into rambles. Um, but a lot of these things aren't simple yes or no, you know, answers. Absolutely. And that's that's kind of something that you only get with the experience of doing this for, you know, as long as you have, that there, there really isn't just a solid, this is what it is, right? And it's, it's very individualistic as well. Well, and then to go back to the Kybalian, you know, yes and no are the same thing, but it's a spectrum, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, and I believe that we actually have a shipment of your books coming. So if people want non-signed editions, they can get them from us. And I believe you're selling signed ones, are you not? I am. Um, on mattwarren.com. Um, it only ships to the US and Canada though, because um, we've had issues since the pandemic started with shipping and- Oh, we all know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you're, if you're Canadian, you know, I'm sure it'd be a lot quicker to get books from you um, than from me or any other US retailer. <laughs> For sure. Awesome. For sure. Well, Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I think we will end this episode there. And thank you very much. Mm -hmm.